Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Over the last two weeks, we've been walking through the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the unexpected prophet, the young guy who didn't really want the job, but ended up in the position all the same. He spent chapter upon chapter reminding the Israelite people of their commitment to God and God's commitment to them. He's been pointing out through all these verses the ways that they've missed the mark and forgotten their responsibility to God and to one another. To say the least, Jeremiah has been awfully straightforward with the Israelites. But in the middle of the book of Jeremiah, there's this passage with a different tone, a stark contrast to the direct and disciplinary words of previous verses. Suddenly, God delivers a message filled with comfort, hope, and optimism. Our passage today is part of a collection of encouraging words addressed to a community in exile. This collection, Jeremiah 30 through 33, is sometimes called the Book of Consolation or the Book of Comfort. And Jeremiah 31, which we will read from today, is one of these three speeches. It speaks to the lingering trauma after the destruction of Jerusalem responding to Israel's cries of terror, pain, and grief, God speaks directly to Israel, promising to save, restore, and heal. So let us once again listen to what the prophet is saying to us on this day as we read from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, it will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hope is risky business. In hope, we make plans. In hope, we think about the future, different and better than our present. In hope, we see a life that we've prayed for, that we've worked for, a change from the past we've known. Hope is certainly risky. The Israelites know this. They've been in exile, away from their homes, away from the life they've known. Hope for them would almost certainly lead to disappointment or destruction or death. To hope would be to challenge the status quo, to move beyond the current reality 
to leave a past that was no longer tangible. Surely hope would lead nowhere good or at least nowhere comfortable. The Israelites were stuck in a place without control over their own timeline or their own lives. And even if they did hope, what would they hope for? The list would be too long. The people of Judah faced crisis. Not only had they lost power and prestige and freedom and security, they had also lost God, or at least the assurance of God's faithfulness, which may amount to the same thing. Jeremiah is trying to explain to them that they must live their lives, remembering that it is God who knit them in the womb, listening to their God who wants them to put down roots, to plant and to establish homes, to seek the welfare of the city. God, through Jeremiah, is pushing them to create a life of memories, even in a land that isn't their own. And now, after chapters of rebuke and pointing out their faults, Jeremiah is bringing comfort. Instead of judgment, Jeremiah delivers unexpected good news, a lavish promise, newness out of destruction, hope where there is no hope, life out of death. God will make a way where there is no way. God is doing a new thing, giving them a reason to hope, risky but beautiful hope. Old Testament professor Walter Brueggemann writes a lot about hope. One of the lines in particular he says is that hope is the deep religious conviction that God has not quit. The hope we find in this new covenant reminds us that God has not and does not quit us. God promised to engage and continues to engage God's people. The new thing God is doing, this new promise God is making, will give way to new life, a new way of living, a new way of being in the world. The Torah, the law, shapes the life of the Israelites and has for years. God gave this guide in past covenants. But in this new covenant, God doesn't just give them the law or point them back to the law. God puts it in their hearts. No longer will the law be engraved in stone or displayed in rotundas for all to see but none to follow. It is a living, breathing part of their lives. It is a part of each person's eternal makeup. It isn't tied to one place, but instead it's tied to a community. You see, the law centers the people back in memory. It is a reminder of how to live in the present. It is always a guide for the people so that they we might know God and live accordingly. But with this new covenant, God is doing something different. God is forging a way for the bond between Israel and God to be renewed and to deepen. While there is freedom in this new covenant, a promise that God has not quit loving and caring and guiding us, there is also responsibility. There is still the expectation that we will live lives that reflect our relationship with God, that we would know God and reflect God's concern for justice and righteousness 
in the way we live our lives, we are called to ask ourselves just how we live out God's concern for justice in the world, even when it seems fruitless or hopeless. And this is not naive. It's not a Pollyanna-esque way to live in the world. Brueggemann goes on to point out that hope in a gospel faith is not just a vague feeling that things will work out. Rather, hope is the conviction against a great deal of data that God is tenacious and persistent in overcoming the deathliness in the world. God intends joy and peace. Friends, God does intend joy and peace, and we are called to help. We are called as a community to be tenacious and persistent, to work for joy and peace and comfort alongside God and our community. The days are surely coming when the people from the least to the greatest will know God with all that intimacy that comes with it. God will wash away the sins of all the people once and for all and will remember them no more. This is an extraordinary promise. This is an extraordinary confession. The old is broken, whether because of the people's failure or God's failure or simply the inevitable slings and arrows of life in a chaotic world. It doesn't matter. Our hope is in the new thing God is about to do. To a people shattered by war and exile, the words of hope are offered as a restorative balm. The broken covenant of the past is not the end of the relationship with God. With God, they can begin again. With God, we can begin again. We continue forward we know God is doing a good thing. God is not leaving us behind. This is powerfully hope-filled. And even as we learn of the new thing God is doing in the world, even as we place our hope in what is to come, we know our hope shapes us and our future. We look backwards to know better what is happening next. Author and activist Eli Wiesel wrote of the connection between the past and the future, reminding us all that the two go hand in hand. We know we can't live in the past, but we can learn from the past. We can learn from memories. Wiesel says that hope without memory is like memory without hope. Just as a man cannot live without dreams, he cannot live without hope. If dreams reflect the past, then hope summons the future. We need the memories of the past to push us into the future, to remind us just what it is we are working towards, to remind us that there is a deeper connection between our actions and the world around us. This covenant, this new covenant God created isn't just with one person. God is re-entering into a relationship with an entire community. We know that God works and moves in community, and God knows that hope is easier in community. We need one another. When we can't hold on to hope ourselves, the community can hold it for us.
When we look around and we can't explain the violence and the hatred in the world, when we can't see any reason to hope, our community is there to point out the ways that hope is breaking through. When the burden of grief and pain is heavy, our community is there to carry hope for us, to carry our grief with us, to remind us that we are not alone. We are called to speak up and out for others. We are called to seek and pray for the welfare of the city. We are called to move from memory into hope, and we are called to do it all together. Friends, hope is not naive. It is a gift and a reminder that God is tenacious and persistent, and a reminder that we too can be tenacious and persistent. As we work towards a future, as we plan for things that are to come, we know that God will continue to do a new thing. Hope is indeed risky, but it is definitely worth the risk. Amen. Friends, as Lucy said, our hope is safe and a God who promises us a good future.